Welcome to the Cup and Saucy Book Club. I'm Jen. And I'm Zanna. What's in your cup today, Zanna? Today I am drinking a fandom blend from our former fandom, Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, that ah. I created myself through Adagio Teas. So it's a it's called Kiss Me Goodnight, and it's a mint tea uh, with apple and some citrus notes and a little bit of cardamom because I cannot live without cardamom. Yeah, it's delicious. It's one of my favorites. How about you? What are you drinking? Well, it's starting to get a bit warmer here in California, so I made some sun tea over the weekend, and this is a hibiscus and rosehip blend from my local Whole Foods market, and then I just made it into a sun tea, so... This is this I think goes into the personal blends. <laughs> yes, section. I think we're I think we're definitely on the personal blends today. Although mine you can get through Adagio tea. <laughs> uh, you yes, you can actually get this. So today we are joined by uh, Rob Sanborn. Rob is an author of dual timeline thrillers set in Europe, and though his books contain plenty of action, adventure, and mystery, they're love stories at their core. In addition to being a novelist, Rob is also a screenwriter and entrepreneur. He's an avid traveler who's been to 40 countries and 40 states, and we're going to talk about that one, Rob. Originally from New York City, he's lived in L.A. for 20 years and now makes his home in Denver with his family. Rob, welcome to the show, and tell us what's in your cup. Well, first of all, thank you, Jen and Zana, so much for having me on your show. I am thrilled to be here. And what's in my cup is... Constant Comment Tea, which is uh, a favorite of mine. I do love the cinnamony flavors. Mm. So you have the the Prisoner of uh, Paradise and um, the Painter of the Damned. And then your novella is the Swordsman of Venice, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I've just recently read both of the novels and I've read part of the novella, but this seems like the novella might be set kind of between um, or behind as well, because it's a time travel thing. So um, it seems like it's kind of like a, it fills in some gaps that, that of the past life. It um, does. Or, so to explain to the yeah. audience very quickly. So the, my first book is called The Prisoner of Paradise. And as Jen mentioned, yeah. it's a dual timeline thriller uh, that blends historical fiction and thriller with a little magical realism at its core is a love story and the main storyline takes place in the present but about 30 percent of it it's not really time travel but more like past life regressions Uh, yeah yeah yeah. exactly takes yeah and that takes place in the 16th century and then the second book is painter the damned which is about the same breakdown um and but within the past i tell the story of the characters in the past out of order uh, so it's yeah. not chronological. So actually, we don't end up. Th- and the, the very first scene in the entire series starts in 1589, and it takes place in Venice. Uh, mm. It's nighttime and it's really shady, and the main character basically gets attacked by this these this group of men and has to escape right. Venice. Yeah, and it's all very mysterious and why, yeah. you know, what, what the hell is going on here. Right. Yeah. And then the gaps are filled yeah. in. But right. technically, all the other scenes that take place in the past happen after that opening right. scene. So the, so the nice thing about writing in dual timelines is I can go back 
and actually pick up where I left off yeah. in a different timeline. So the Swordsman of Venice is basically a companion series, if you will, um, sure. that follows the, uh, the, the main character of the past and his yeah. journey and what happened after he left Venice. I'd sort of got the sense, and maybe this would be a spoiler of some sort, that that there's a third book coming. Is that true? Yeah, that's not a spoiler <laughs> at all. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, was, yeah, so when the, I got to the end of the of the painter of Venice, I don't want to spoil anything, but I was like, no, that that's not over yet. <laughs> that definitely not over it's yet. It's not a spoiler no, it to will just be say a trilogy, cliffhanger. And the third <laughs> there's a cliffhanger. Be, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a cliffhanger. And the third book, the epic conclusion, if you will, will let me uh, guess. Be, Are they going to Paris? <laughs> I cannot reveal that. Okay. Uh, um, but the reason why Zana brings up Paris for the audience is that um so again, the first book is called The Prisoner of Paradise, and the entire series revolves around this painting called Paradise uh, by an, a Renaissance master named Jacopo Tintoretto. And Tintoretto, um, you know, he's he's definitely in the top 10 of Renaissance master artists. He's not like a Da Vinci, but maybe he's like fifth or sixth in terms of popularity. Right. And so but he's still in the club for sure. He's still in the club. Oh, for sure. And Paradise is actually the world's largest oil painting. It's a real painting in Venice. It's about yeah. 80 feet wide by 40 feet high. And there's about five or maybe actually probably like 700 people in this painting. And so the series revolves around this painting. And the reason why Zana mentioned Paris is so the, the main painting is actually in Venice. But in real life, he created two studies for it that are also huge. And one mm -hmm. is in a museum in Madrid, and the other one is in the Louvre in Paris. But just because that's a clue does not mean that that's where it's going. So I cannot reveal okay. that. But book three, okay. yeah, book three will be coming out uh, hopefully toward the end of this year. Okay, great, great, great. With books like this that have um, and kind of an, I know that there's an arc within each book. Um, but there's an overall arc for the whole series. How do you go about constructing um, that kind of story in, in trilogy or, or however many elegies you're talking, you're looking for? It's a great question. And actually, to be honest with you, it wasn't really that easy. So when I, so the first book was, I'm also a screenwriter, as Jen mentioned uh -huh. in the introduction. And sure. I originally wrote the book as a script. And it actually was. Yeah, and I can, by, I can, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that it. Yeah, a lot of people a say it has cinematic, a cinematic style. Yeah, cinematic and qualities to it. Yeah, it actually was. The script was optioned by a production company founded by DreamWorks execs, okay. but um, unfortunately, it was never made into a movie. And when the rights reverted back to me, I decided Yet. to adapt it. Yes. Yes. Now, <laughs> the reason why I bring that up is because I never intended for it to be anything but a standalone. However, okay. in that adaptation process organically the story grew into so much more than it originally was and the characters wanted to continue who didn't die anyway right <laughs> so so i started planting the seeds in the first book so i had it in my head where i wanted it to go um and then after the first book was done i actually excuse me i outlined the second and third book concurrently so um, it was, it's very important to me to make sure that like I have a really good number of setups that are actually paid off and there aren't sure. any loose threads. Sure. Um, but it is, to be honest with you, a little challenging, especially when you're writing in multiple timelines to make sure like yeah, you're covering I, every story. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And I've noticed that there's like, because 
and I don't, I'm, I'm going to spoil it if I say too much there, but you know, the, the timelines have shifted just a little bit because of the perspective that you get as the narration. Um, yeah. I start get. bringing other timelines into. And what is, what is your process then Rob for, for doing those kind of, I mean, is it a strict outline do you, you mentioned that the characters, <laughs> yeah, that you have, you know, that you have to keep all of these timelines separate yet meld them together so that it's a coherent book. Are you outlining as you go? Uh, you mentioned that the characters wanted to continue. So is it a little bit that the characters sort of run away with the novel, you know, or how is, how is your process start? versus how it how it ends up being when it gets to the page yeah it's a great question too and i am a very very heavy outliner but i feel like i need to be so my so like i said i concurrently outlined the second and third books but after i wrote the second book the the third book outline did change a little bit precisely because of what you were saying mm-hmm. um, where the car because it is character, even though, you know, it's a thriller, but it's still very much character driven. Mm-hmm. And there are times when I did have to deviate. So I went, I had to go back I'm working on the third book right now um, and I'm nearly finished with it, but I did have to go back and um, basically revise the outline you could say of the third book and kind of flesh it out a little bit more as well so between the two different times that i outlined um both books the outlines themselves actually were probably about eighty thousand words okay wow that's a uh, quite an outline yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> and then i also have excel spreadsheets <laughs> of characters oh, wow. yeah. and time and yeah. everything so yeah yeah. Well, for as many characters as you have and as, you know, I mean, it's not like character heavy, but is, you know, there's so many kind of things going on. Um, it's important to have that, I think. Yeah, you got to keep track of all the moving parts. And and do you so do you use um, any kind of uh, particular software to do all of this or do you just is it just. Excel, Excel, you know, or you're just doing spreadsheets or are you using, um, uh, you a know, Scrivener or something Scrivener or anything like that? No, I don't use Scrivener. I just use Word and Excel. I did develop these sort of templates, like these outline uh-huh. templates, but it, it is an Excel. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so it's something that you created yourself to help you yes. as reference as your reference tools. With it being set in Venice, and you mentioned in the in the bio that you're uh, that you're well traveled, how many times have you been to Venice? I've been to Venice three times. Three times. Yeah. One yeah. trip was the inspiration for. Okay, that's what I was about to ask. Were yeah. you inspired <laughs> by by El Paradiso or? Um... Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and then another trip was research. So I, I was actually um, originally inspired by a different Tintoretto painting. Okay. Called oh. uh, called the Crucifixion, which is about the crucifixion. yeah, sure. And um, that painting is also huge. It's not quite as big as Paradise. Um, I think it's probably about forty feet by maybe twenty feet, which is a gigantic painting. Mm-hmm. And so Tintoretto really was an incredible artist. And where like most paintings of the Crucifixion are hyper focused on Jesus on the cross, you know, it's usually really all you see. This particular painting is like an establishing shot 
of the mm-hmm. entire scene. Imagine if imagine if it was a movie and a drone came in on the entire scene and like that was it. And this is a snapshot of that scene. And there's about 75 people in this uh, painting. And every single one of these people in the painting looks like an individual portrait. And so I, you know, obviously artists used models and they still do to this day, but like, did he have a line of 75 people outside of his door? So I was kind of fascinated with that subject. And then I've also been fascinated with the concept of soulmates. So another thing that we didn't mention, and this is sort of where the love uh, story comes into play, not sort of, it is where the love story comes Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) It truly is about soulmates, even though there's like secret societies and a lot of action and there's thrillers and some spooky stuff and all this kind of stuff. The crux of it is about soulmates. And I've always been fascinated with that concept and not just between people who are in love, but even friends. What is that connection that two people might feel between each other, that intangible connection where you're just drawn to somebody, right? It's just like, you just, it just something clicks. Like, what is that, right? And um, Mm -hmm. so I always wanted to write something about that and not make it a romance. Um, So that between that idea and like who these people were in the painting, I kind of married those two ideas and thought, okay, well, what if it was, it was the souls that were in this painting? And that's pretty much what it's about, where the character from the, the main character from the present comes to believe that his true soulmate is actually not his wife, but a woman whose soul has been imprisoned in this painting for 450 years. Well, and the, and, you know, the, concept of soulmates as as a romance trope is generally considered to be you know the the main two characters in a book and they find each other fall in love their soulmates but it's not always so you're you're exploring the idea of what if the soulmate is somebody other than who you are connected to in this particular lifetime and and it's it's more of the uh, the ethereal spiritual connection rather than rather than the love connection, and I hate that phrase, but <laughs> rather but rather than rather the than the love, love story connection. of yeah, yeah <laughs> the love story of it, but that it's but that it's on some higher plane that there are there is a person or people um, because there's also the the idea that you can have more than one soulmate. And um, that you're exploring this on that spiritual or uh, metaphysical level. And uh, is that is that a little more of where you were going with that? Yeah, 100 percent. Absolutely. Yeah. And then when I started really like digging into it and doing a little more research on Tintoretto, then I actually discovered Paradise. I didn't actually see it on that trip. And when I found Paradise... Yeah, I was like, it still honestly gives me chills thinking about yeah. like how perfect of a painting it is for what I wanted to do. Yeah, it really does it lend itself incredibly well to to that idea. Yeah, so Jen, it's, it's exactly about exploring the ethereal aspect of soulmates. Like truly the, the souls. Yeah. And the, and so you know, the the paintings of course are are the main inspiration and the main um framework for the books but the paintings are also 
uh, seen in other works like Dante's Divine Comedy. Are you are you drawing inspiration from that as well, or is it primarily this painting and and that's what one of the things that there? I noticed while reading it is that it does remind me a little bit or the idea of these individuals who are local to the area are making up this this paradiso and or purgatory you know that kind of thing and so it, it did sort of remind me of that yeah um great great catch both of you um actually no one no one else has actually of all the interviews <laughs> i've done no one else has actually caught it there is really? my parents are english professors <laughs> Well, and I was just telling I was just telling Zana too that uh, before you jumped on, that um, my connection to this is my um, my great grandmother was the housekeeper for a priest who uh, trans who was the first English translator of the Divine Comedy, keeping it in the in the verse form, and keeping it in the verse form. So I was like, oh, Divine Comedy, yes, please, I'll uh, yeah. So yes, the Divine Comedy is definitely, um, you could say, a loose inspiration for it. And I do actually have a mention of Dante in mm -hmm. the first book. And there's some other kind of, you can even call them like little Easter eggs throughout. Right. And then there's actually this kind of huge Easter egg that I'll just reveal because no one has caught it yet. And I, I feel like it was a little too <laughs> subtle. Um, but also, I have not yet released the title Um but I guess actually, by the time this show is airing, the title right. will be released for the third yes. book. But basically, the um, the titles of the books are in reverse order of okay. the Divine Comedy. So in the Divine oh, Comedy, yep. Yep. he goes okay. from uh, from paradise, yeah, paradise well, to purgatory to <laughs> well, yeah. you know, I mean, no, he he goes from hell to purgatory to paradise. Right. My books are go from paradise to purgatory to hell. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And and in so this was obviously inspired by by your travels and by these paintings. And uh listeners, we will have um links to where you can see these paintings uh in the show notes uh as well. And um as well also, as Rob's information. And Rob's information, all of the, all of that. Um, what, what are so you're currently working on the last of this? Is there anything? Is there anything else that you have in your head right now that you're that you're looking for? You know, after this project is done, to that you want to try and explore, or you have a work in progress. Um, anything like that, or do you just want to take a break after all of <laughs> after all of this? <laughs> oh no, I'm not taking a break. I actually have like literally over a hundred ideas that I, I want to explore. Um, so first of all, I'm going to be writing part two of the Swordsman of Venice, which is okay. the companion piece, and that's right. So right now, the Swordsman of Venice part one is a novella. So I did I'll notice that it was called part one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to write part two, and then I'm going to put that together as a book. There might also be a part three, but we'll see how that goes. I'm also working on a couple of different screenplays, including um, adapting another author who her name is Laura Camp. I'm adapting her book, which is called Evening in the Yellow Wood, into a screenplay format. And then for my books, 
So I am going to wrap up this trilogy, but I am going to leave a couple of threads in case I decide to continue it on. However, okay. what I'm probably going to do is I have ideas for other historical thrillers that I really want to explore. And you can kind of think of them as like elevated historical thrillers. So it's not just like... Um, you know, like Indiana Jones. I love Indiana Jones, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Same. It, it goes Same. It, it kind of like it does. They also explore these other kind of weightier concepts, like soulmates and things sure. like that. Sure. Um. So, but I, so, but I want to make it also fun. So it's going to have like, um, I think, probably elevated writing plus this exploration of these concepts, but packaged in a fun book that's going to have action and history, uh, usually going to be revolving around art, um, and then also, you know, like unsolved kind of mysteries of the world and that kind of thing. Okay. Do you have other favorite time periods that you want to uh, to set these books in? I have. To me, it's more about um, the mystery. Because I also want to make the mysteries kind of like, quote unquote, meaningful to people. You know what I mean? Like something that people can connect with. And mm -hmm. there's a lot. So um, the first of this series, I have a few different ideas. But actually, the first of this series, I think I'm going to be exploring American history, which, believe okay. it or not, is a little bit outside of my comfort zone. <laughs> <It's a little laughs> okay. I obviously know American history way more than any. I am American. Um, but. I typically gravitate. But it's so much shorter. It is. It's a lot easier from that respect. But I do typically gravitate more towards European and Asian history. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I think I'm going to be exploring American history for the first book of that particular series. And it's also, it's not going to be a linear series. It'll be episodic. So people will be able to pick up books okay. at any point in time. Yeah. Oh, so there will be a little bit more standalone and less fewer cliffhangers exactly they'll always yeah. stand the ones yes that's yeah. the plan okay yeah. so you have visited 40 states so far do you think that in the course of writing anything on american history that you're gonna check off the other 10 you know maybe because i do want it to connect to native american history which i feel like is criminally underserved yeah. agreed you know, I, I have yeah. learned things about Amer about Native American history in just the past few years that I had never learned before. And it's just like, you know, we're all taught like lies <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, and um, it's just shameful to me. And I so I do want to, if I can, with what I want to do, bring in Native American history. So there is a chance that I might visit some states, particularly like the Dakotas. I haven't been to either one of them. So um, that's visit. a good possibility. They're worth I mean, a visit. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, I actually recently yeah, learned that, that um, the Lakotas of the Dakotas knew about the existence of dinosaurs, like mm -hmm. way earlier than um, than Europeans knew about dinosaurs. Sure. Which, Europeans only discovered dinosaurs, I believe, like in the 1860s. There's a lot of paleontological evidence in, yeah. you know, in... I mean, there's footprints. In the Great Plains, you know, yeah. so yeah. it's, it's and bones and, you know, all sorts of things in, in the Great Plains. So that's not 
that's not terribly surprising. Yeah. Yeah. To be clear to my readers, the future books will not involve dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> but I just just to point that's out, a, that's kind a whole of like other a as long as you thing. don't make the Native Americans ride dinosaurs, then we're no. Okay. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. it'll probably because be that's... much more about like how how Native Americans actually had established cities. Oh, which, sure. Yes. Which, which is American kids were taught that, you know, they right. were all nomadic and lived in tents. Yeah, there's right? there's rich cultural backgrounds yeah. in it's crazy. Um, yeah. all of the diff in so different in huge numbers of, of tribal uh, histories and, you know, nation histories. I mean, the the Sioux Nation has the Lakota, Nokota, and Dakota. And so, yeah, there's a whole lot. <laughs> I mean, even if you just, even if you just stuck to one one tribe what is still left available is you know there's so much there's so much there there's so much that's being uncovered every day um and then you you know take that across the across the continent and and there's just there's a treasure trove of of things to be discovered and so. then our history doesn't seem so short yeah exactly exactly and um so what do you then like to read when, or do you get time to read anymore? Uh, and what do you, what's on your, what's on your nightstand, Rob? So I do get to read. I'm always reading one book and I'm always listening to one book. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I do have kids uh, and a dog. So having the ability to listen to books is actually a huge time saver because I can go through sure. much faster. And I typically gravitate towards um, two different genres. One is the historical thriller genre because first of all, I do enjoy it. But second of all, I need to know like what's out there. But then sure. the other side is I listen to actually or read both a lot of uh, like literary fiction. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely like stuff that is just really, really well written. But then I'll also, you know, branch out into tons of other genres, um, just straight up, a lot of straight up historical fiction, um, historical nonfiction, actually, some memoirs. Mm -hmm. uh, occasionally, I'll also uh, read some sci-fi and fantasy and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Currently, I am listening to a book called The Secret of the Stones by Ernest Dempsey, and I am reading a book called um, The Gilded Beasts by Rashani Chakshi. Okay. Oh, wonderful. And speaking of uh, audiobooks, um, Zanna, you listened to yeah, one of these books on I the did. narration. I, so so. I, I ball read The Prisoner of Paradise, and that was fun. But then I listened to, because I had a lot of stuff to do, and, and not a lot of time. So like I, we had a bunch of house cleaning and things like that, things to do. So I, I listened to um, the painter of the damned and your narrator is great. Mm -hmm. um, Zach Alleman, is that? Yeah, Zach Alleman, yeah. Yeah, so was he a first choice or was he, um, how, how does that go about, how do you, how do you get to choose a, an audiobook narrator as an author or does I got incredible chosen lucky, for actually. you yeah. yeah so um so I have a th uh, three book deal with my publisher touchpoint press and then they okay. and my my agents uh, Brower literary management got a three book audio deal with um Tantor media 
Right. And right. Tantor actually originally suggested a different person, a British okay. gentleman who has a wonderful speaking voice, but right. he was more suited for something like Dickens. And right. the main character of my books is a is American. Girl, American. Yeah. Right. So I wanted it. I wanted someone, I wanted an American. So Tantor was actually awesome. And they say, look, you can pick somebody else, but it has to be from our stable of narrators. Sure. So I listened to probably 30 to 40 samples of Tantor narrators. And Zach by far was my number one choice. And he was fantastic. Thank God that he was available. Um, yeah. And yeah, because like I said, I listened to a ton of audiobooks. And from a non biased perspective, yes, I wrote the words, but. He is a remarkable narrator. I think that he, he is, is truly destined for greatness. Yeah. Yeah. He was very, very good at both imbuing emotion into everything and yeah. his accents were great. And, mm -hmm. you know, he had just, just made the listening experience a lot uh, more pleasurable than, than if somebody else had done it. So. Yeah, it's a serious <laughs> skill. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. you know, my books take place where there's multiple nationalities, multiple, you know, multiple genders, people multiple of ages. all different ages. Yeah. And sometimes like there's a whole bunch of people in one room and he just yep. and it. And like, every he, single person is distinct. And yeah. so you know exactly who's talking when. And it's yeah. just, it's flawless. Yeah, it's yeah. really good. And we were talking about outlining, you know, that deep, um, imagine also needing to remember voices from previous books. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He must have needed to keep copious notes himself on, you know, this is what this person sounds like. And, and yeah. here's where uh, yeah, you know, all of I'm, that's fun. I don't know his process, but I would love to know it. Yeah. 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 And there's, you know, we've, we've talked to a couple of audiobook narrators and all the process, uh, their processes are different um based on you know the kind of books they're uh narrating so it, it can be different even from book to book um but uh generally we hear a lot of that it's um that you know they they do a quick read through to make sure that they've got all the characters that all the voices are distinct that you know Some of everybody, them highlight <laughs> uh, yeah there's i mean <laughs> it must be a rainbow of colors highlighted but uh right. but yeah there's um i'm i'm glad that you found first of all somebody that you that you wanted to narrate it and that well, and uh, it sounds like you did such a great such job a, he's such a great voice for nick for one thing who's the protagonist of the first book um, but he's also great as Carlo and he's great as, you know, and, and he does even the bad guy voices very, very well. And, <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, it's yeah, always it, fun to, to do the villains, right? He's, so. I mean, it's like, he's, he, he just sort of seems like some American guy when he's doing the Nick voice, but then it's like, okay, he's dark. <laughs> <laughs> I gush over Zach all the time. We talk about audiobook narrators quite a uh, quite a bit on this program, and they always have our backing. There is something that takes that elevates um, a book when when you get when you get the right marriage between the book and the narrator. So I'm I'm pleased for you, Rob, that 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 happened on the first on the first go. So um, and then. So you're uh, getting set to um, finish this trilogy, and 
uh, your, um, and we have so many other books that are in on the, in the works on the horizon <laughs> and uh, excited to hear about them. And I will be taking these, I will be taking these on after talking with you because it's been such a pleasure um, once I get through you know my her other <laughs> my to be yeah. my, my to be red <laughs> pile g- goes down just a little bit <laughs> but it really has been a pleasure talking to you rob and thank you so much for being on the program today we've uh, we've both enjoyed it well likewise jen and zana thank you so much for having me uh time has flown by it was a pleasure speaking with you and i hope i can be on again yeah we'd love to have you we'd love to have you and thank you for being on the program and thank you f- uh everyone for listening the, all the information about today's guest will be on the show notes page on our website, cupandsaucybooks.com. And follow us on social media wherever you, and wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Cup and Saucy Books. Join us next time when we talk with someone new from the world of books. And probably go on a few tangents. Happy reading. Cheers. Cheers.